Look at uh, our text in the Doctor's Gospel in Luke chapter 12. I've entitled the message today, Birds, Flowers, and Grass. Birds, Flowers, and Grass. You know, as God's dear children, and if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, we are all tempted to, uh, to worry, every, every one of us. Uh, we recognize I'm not very much, and there's a lot out there, and uh, it uh, can easily overwhelm me. You know, we, we live with this illusion, like I get all my, my P's and Q's lined up and all that, and I'm in control. That is, that is like a deranged comment, if you think about it. <laughs> we don't like to think about it, because if we line all our ducks up and we go like, okay, everything's where it ought to be, and I'm feeling pretty good, I'm on top of it, everything's going my way. Uh, yeah, right. We are saying, there are a lot of forces out there. There are evil forces, satanic forces, there's a world system that's antithetical to the gospel, that hates Christ, can't get him, would hurt Christians. There are people that don't understand us, there's brokenness, there's loss, suffering, and then there's death. We go like, you know, like, the only thing to fear, the only thing to worry is worry itself. Give me a break. It's not true. It's uh, incredibly overwhelming of the possibilities of what's out there. So what do we do? Do we fret? Do we pack it in? You know? Worry I'm going to lose my job, the economy's going to tank, I won't be able to take care of my family, uh, I won't be able to do schoolwork, I'm going to flunk out, my uh, husband's going to leave me, all sorts of things. I mean, all sorts of things beyond the physical, what am I going to get next? I'm going to breathe something and not be able to get out of bed. Am I going to fall and hit my head? Am I going to hurt myself uh, in an industrial accident? Mike was telling me this week he's falling off a roof and other things. and No? You landed on something and it was, that was what? Oh, but it still happened, not this week. But you told me this week of something that happened. Stuff happens, right? It happens. Birds, flowers, and grass. We find ourselves often gripped by worry. We worry about money. We worry about health. You know, one day you can be, you're going to live forever. Next day... Come on in and sit down. I got news for you. You need to try and put those pieces together. Our jobs, another cutback, recession, these kind of things, schoolwork, can I make the grade? And some even, can you believe it, worry over public speaking. They get all tongue-tied and dried mouth, and I can't do I, that one, you know. That, they say next to, next to death, that's the second biggest fear that, that folks might have or they might worry over. Well, worry, one man writes, and I, I, I think he's right, worry may be the most common sin committed by, by Christians. you think that may be true? We, we count it like a little sin, like, oh, that's not one of the dirty dozen, you know. <laughs> worry. Oh, to, 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 human, to be human is to worry. So I guess I'm human. So we, we feel good. We kind of slither away. We go like, ah, everybody worries. So it's sort of like, it probably is the most common sin. If not, it's right up there. One man writes, worry is actually a symptom of a deep spiritual sickness. He's probably right. Lord Jesus, I remind you, never worried. Get, get your head around that a little bit. I mean, really. I, I, I Look through the Gospels and see if you'll ever find any account of the Lord 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the Lord is like, oh my, oh, worry. Never happened. Perfect love that he had in his Father cast out all fear. Even through the horror of going to the cross and all that unfolded there. Anguish, yes. He suffered the separation of his father, spiritual death. Never happened before. But never, never worry. Oh, Father, what are you going to do? Oh, what's happening tomorrow? Oh, I'm out of control. Never. And here he is as the ideal God-man, the second Adam, and it shows us more perfectly what the grace of God can do in your life and mine as we wholly give ourselves to him. No matter what befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. He cares for you. He cares for you. We sing that song, right? He cares for me. We need never worry. And that's what he wants to accomplish in growing us through his power, through the gospel in your life and mine, that we would be people that live in this incredible world that's falling apart, literally. I mean, have you noticed? An old pastor, a friend of our family, used to say, don't ever read the morning papers. Now, I've not taken his advice, but I'm thinking about it. Don't read it. You get up the first thing, read the Bible, then you look at the headline, and you know, then you're kind of down and in the dumps all day. Don't do that. Don't read that like that. Here we are living this world like that. I mean, with so much that can overwhelm us in an instant. And God says, I'm going to make you like Jesus. As you grow and mature and keep your eye on me, so that, know what? The angels are going to watch, and others, and they're like with bated breath. Look at these godly Christians that focus on, they have failed so much, and we do in this, but God picks us up, start again, start again. A righteous man falls, gets up. God gets us up by the grace and the power of the gospel in our life. And that's what he's doing. The Lord Jesus never worried. He completely trusted his Father. Wow. Now as Jesus, I remind you in, in our text, he's moving towards uh, Jerusalem. In nine chap chapter 9, verse 51, from that point he turns and he's beginning this last journey. He's going to go and offer himself as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And he's moving in that direction. Not the yellow brick road, it's not Oz, but it's a reminder that each one of us are on a similar road Every one of us have an appointment with, with death. And the Lord's was prescribed and foreordained for you and for me. And he's moving, and now he's preparing his disciples for what he knows is coming. Uh, he, is going, he has warned them, and we saw that last week and the week prior. Don't put your trust in the uncertainty of your possessions. Certainly don't do that. That is a bad investment. In fact, it's not yours. Remember the miser? You know, he had the bumper harvest, and he said, my barn's already full. He thought, remember, he thought he had a storage problem. I know, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. He didn't have a storage problem. He had a spiritual problem. He had so much, and he could have used it for God's goodness. And God said, thou fool, tonight your soul is required of you. 
Certainly do not put your security in your possessions. You can't take anything with you. And we saw that. And now he's going to instruct them where their trust should be. And in our passage, we see there are three reasons why worry is foolish. And it hinders us from becoming kingdom seekers. It's foolish. You and I act like fools when we fall into the temptation to worry again. We're gripped by worry. We allow worry to paralyze us. We end up, it's a fearful thing, or we allow it to be a hopeless thing. Oh my, that's it. The bottom's dropped out. There's no hope in this area or that area. And God says to us through the Lord Jesus, that's a foolish thing for a kingdom seeker to be engaged in. And so let's finally learn the lesson of the birds and the flowers and the grass. Look at chapter 12, verse 22, as he continues. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap and have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as, look at these words, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the Gentiles or the pagans, the nations of the world, seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, three reasons. The reasons are right before you on your sheet why worry is foolish, and it hinders us. It grossly hinders you and me from being the kingdom seekers that Christ wants us to be. The first reason why it's foolish is because life is much more than eating and clothing. Verses 22 to 24. Life is much more than simply scrounging out something to eat and to cover your body with. We, are, we have been given by God as the capstone of his creation, those made in his image, a much higher purpose to seek him, to fellowship with him, and to serve him. And not to spend our days foraging out, crawling through the, uh, the, the, the elements and debris and stuff on the ground to find a little something to eat. And maybe, maybe just put something over our bodies to cover and spend our days on maybe just staying indoors, a covering. 
We're not animalistic. There are those in school that say, well, all all people are animals and they're, you know, homo sapiens and all this kind of thing. We share a common existence and a common environment that God has made. Certainly, we're warm-blooded, air-breathing, and and care common uh, physiological elements that are what God has made Adam and Eve, and we are their children uh, as the capstone is creation, made in the very likeness and image of God. doesn't mean a physical image, but well, we're persons with will and intellect and emotion. We can make true choices, and we mode, and God made that so that we might love the Lord with all our heart and serve him and love our neighbor as ourselves. We're not programmed. I mean, the, I, I, we freely respond to God in love. It's not a computer. Everybody has computers today. My granddaughters even play computers. Uh, and a lot of it's the program. How is programmed? The options there. God made you and I not program. You know, when you get a Coke machine and it rips you off, you know. I mean, honest. No one's around you. Give it a shot, right? Just kind of like, you know, like that thief stole the thing like that. Well, that thing's programmed. Probably got jammed in there. Or it's a mechanical thief of some sort, right? <laughs> Well, you're not like that. You see, you make a choice, you know. Do I steal that or do I give the right change, you know? We are made in God's image. God has given us a goodness. There's a goodness in us, but there's also a sinful bent, is it not? And that's the way God is made. God is saying, look, I've made you a far higher plane than the the animals in the world that God has given us. Uh, he's, and, he's, and the Lord gives a command here in verse 5. Do not worry. He, he is giving us uh, uh, this command, and he means by it that it should be our constant attitude. It's a present imperative. It's durative. I mean, this doesn't mean last Tuesday between 2 and 4. I did pretty good, Lord. I didn't worry then. Very good, Terry. <laughs> no, it should be your constant attitude of life that you and I are not given to, uh, to worry why? Because perfect trust, Father, whatever you're doing is perfect, and I trust you. Even if things look terrible, a blizzard, a buffalo blizzard, you go like, what is God doing? And we go like, my father's in charge. I mean, we stand, think about it. I, I go back to that. I go back to the earth. You know, there's nothing holding the earth up. I don't want you to get nervous now or hold on to your seat extra carefully there. But really, the, the earth, the gravitation, centripetal forces, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. There's nothing holding it up. Suspended on nothing. Now that's what you begin on earth to build the foundation of your house. I know everyone says the foundation is the most important thing, but when you go back far enough, there's nothing holding anything. Well, who's holding it? Well, Colossians 1, Jesus holding all things together. And he's holding things together in your life, whether you can see it or not. And he takes us through the ups and the downs and the storms, to, you know, so it shows how much more work he needs to do in our life and how puny and small and frail and sinful we are, even as believers, even if we've walked with him. And we're like, oh, no, the bottom's wrapped up. Like, like, yeah, like he's brought us all this far, and now he's left us. That's why he said, repeat it, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Need to hear it again? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's there. But we tend to think this is it. You know, right at this moment of time where our nose is right, in the, right at the present second, somehow I knew it. I knew it was going to happen. He's forgotten me. He's forgotten me. And we do that. You run through those things and I. And Jesus say, listen, 
don't worry. He's going to say here, your father knows everything you need, and he will take care of you. He is taking care of me all the way. All the way. In this little thing called life, which is no comparison, Paul says, to heaven, I mean, which goes on forever. And Jonathan alluded to it, a worship in Revelation. Amazing. Do not worry. Constant attitude. The, the lack of anxiety about basic daily needs should not characterize a disciple of Jesus. Oh my, what am I going to do? Oh, But trust. Perfect trust. God will take care of you. He'll take care of us as a church. He'll take care of us as people. Take care of us as his church. He will. He will. The absence of worry involves trusting one's total care to him. So like, again, I go back, it's like little children with their, with, in a normal home with a mom and dad, right? You have to qualify because there's so, so much heartache and brokenness. But in, in, in a home growing up, where the way God is designed, where there's a mom and dad, they take care of of their little ones. Look, I was so many years around here when I didn't know anything. And somebody wiped my behind and wiped my nose and stuck a spoon of food in my mouth and put a diaper on me. And, and I wasn't like, gee, I wonder if I'm going to get fed here tonight. You know, three years old. Am I getting something to eat? Dad? Am I? No, they took care of me. God took care of me through them. That's his program. Do you think that stops when you start to, you know, you come to an age you're like, I know there's no Santa Claus, but if I ask my father, maybe I won't get any more presents. It's really my mom and dad, and so therefore I'm sort of out there then. And so do I say that? No, forget that. When I come a certain age and I realize, wait a minute, oftentimes God's provision is through a job and hard work and industry, and he provides that. Is somehow he's going to forget about us? No, it's the same thing. Like when we were little kids and didn't know anything. We're just big kids, but really little kids, and the toys are more expensive, somebody said. They are, right? It used to be a little dump truck. Now it's a right, like big truck now, and, and that's the way it is. You think it changes? He takes care of us. Total care. I see that over and over and over again. You see, life is more than living on the low-level plane of scratching out, forging out some sort of nuts and berries and bread and pizza to eat. I've got to give myself all of that, and that's where I am on this low level of existence. He's saying, listen, don't live just to live. You're not an animal. God has made you for such a higher plane. Trust him. He'll take care of you. Trust him. Trust him. We went to Indiana to, uh, to seminary years ago, left a, a, a quite a good business, and, and sensed God's call to prepare for uh, seminary. And we, we couldn't sell a home in, in uh, North Tonawanda and ended up running it out. And, and then finally, uh, anyway, I went with about $100 in my wallet. And we lived for a couple of years uh, in a very economic. We had a, little, a lot of seminary students were in little apartments, but there were none. Some were in mobile home units, and we did that. And then we ended up staying there nine and a half years. Graduated, got Master of Divinity, uh, worked in a church plant, saw the church come along. And then finally, finally came the point where the Lord led us to the, the school to do some teaching in Clark Summit. And I remember thinking, and, I, and, and I, I'll just be honest, I was overweight. I was. I'd eaten too much of that good pizza, Faith would make pizza night, and I didn't exercise. My 20s were not real healthy years because I didn't know if I was coming or going kind of a thing. 
And I go like, isn't this amazing? We came out here, I felt like Abraham. We came out here with almost nothing, and we trusted God, and we found him to be true. And now I'm so, so, so full and so content and so, and God had so blessed, like, should we really leave? And it was a testimony of God's sweet care. I never missed one of the big three daily, you know, meals. And, uh, and God had cared for us all the way. Faith and I worked together. She worked. I worked. When God gave the increase, and we didn't know anything, and we were all together with the seminary students. They were all in the same boat, and we had nothing when we got together, and we didn't even know it, you know? <laughs> and it was so great that we discovered the greatness of God and His provision. That's what Jesus is saying here. I go back to that in my mind when I think about that. We are more than bodies to be fed, clothed, and housed. Sometimes our world thinks that that's all that there is. Look at the, look at the shiny magazines that come out. Boy, look at as if the, the Epicurean culture, you know, it's the fine food, it's the fine this, it's the fine that, and as if that, that's such a low level of, ex, of existence. God has made us for himself. He's made us for so much more to be kingdom seekers and servers of Christ and be Christ in our community and in our home. And so Jesus B provides a series of illustrations from nature, making his point. I love these. I do. I, we need not worry. We can rely on God's care. Why? He says, he says look at the ravens. I'm, I'm sorry, this is not NFL stuff here. <laughs> look at the ravens there. Sorry, Louise, on, on that. He does not mean uh, the, the team that beat the Steelers twice this year. Was that right? I didn't have to say that. I, I know that. I know. Look at, Jesus said, look at the ravens. Don't miss it. What about it? They, 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 don't, they don't sow seed. Uh, they don't reap. They don't have little uh, raven harvesters there. And they certainly don't have an elaborate system of storage, refrigeration, and food processing, and all that. They don't have any of that. Have you noticed? They don't. They're scavengers. In fact, they're unclean in the Old Testament. You don't go to the temple with one of those. The priest would kick you out. They were garbage. They were considered, you know, scavengers. They don't know. Uh, they weren't, uh, you could bring a turtle dove if you were poor. But don't be walking in with, with a scavenger, blackbird like this. Uh, uh, and look, uh, Jesus said, you're more valuable than a bird. Well, that ends most biology classes that really aren't sure of that. But Jesus' final word on the subject is that you are more valuable than that. And I remind you that God defines the meaning and the value and the purpose of all things. That's God that defines. Man is not the measure of all things. God is. He says, you are more valuable than the birds. I've, my Father feeds them. Our Lord is a wonderful provider, created the world and everything in it. It's truly amazing. Don't miss the lesson of the bird. Jesus said, look at the ravens. God takes care of them. And you are far more valuable, made in God's wonderful image. All people are, and I will take care of you. My Father will take care of you. So don't live on that low-level plane. You're far more important than that. You're not a mannequin that simply needs to be dressed. Tomorrow is opening day of deer season. And a lot of times you'll watch the deer come through, and I've marked 
hunted for years at Mark's uh, uh, campsite. And uh, Dave and I, I remember sitting up there, and we would watch the does come by. You always see the doe walking around. And they're kind of foraging around. It looks like it. They're kind of listening and then looking to eat and spend their day and then probably sleep. It's a tough life if you think about it. You just kind of bed down and then get up a couple times during the day and eat. And hopefully it's not deer, so you're foraging. That is not what God wants you to do, nor me. Just simply giving ourselves so we can eat, giving ourselves so we can cover ourselves. You were made for, for greatness, for something far more than that. And so don't focus on that. God will care for you, the lesson of the bird. The second reason why we, we worry is foolish and it hinders us from being kingdom seekers is that it's completely unproductive. Jesus tells us in 25 through 28, it's completely unproductive, in fact, counterproductive. Which of you, be, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Let me just stop. King James says, add a cubit to its height. Uh, there was a manuscript, uh, and some of the uh, Greek manuscripts, but I think the ESV and some of the other ones picked the right side. He's not so much talking about, although it would be nice to be another cubit taller, wouldn't it? be nice, I guess, but he's really not talking about tallness. He's really talking about time, and uh, I think that's the sense of it here. And so what he's saying is that, uh, you know, when you run out of time, it would be nice to have an extra hour of time. Have you ever said that? I wish the days were 25 hours a day. Or at the end of your life, you know, tack on some extra. Hezekiah had that, incidentally. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? And if you're able, Jesus says, not able to do such a small thing as that. Now, it's, here's the Son of God, the Creator, and he's placing his evaluation on what it is to add length to someone's life. Like, what's that? You know, like, I did it with Hezekiah. Check the text. It's in there a couple of times. And you can't even add an hour. You can't add a minute. Do you know that you already have an appointment with death, yeah, an appointment with life, you know, there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. There is, and God has already appointed that, and that we should live at this time, and that all of us should be here at this time. It's a rather amazing intersection of people and lives and souls, eternal souls going to either heaven or to hell. We should live at such a time as this. Jesus said, if you can't even do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest well, that sort of says it. What is he saying? It's a worry is completely foolish because it's unproductive. Uh, actually, it's counterproductive. Worry is a thief. I mentioned uh, last week or the week before the thief that broke into my sister-in-law's place down in Florida and cleaned her out. It's a horrible thing. But uh, worry is a thief. How is it a thief? It robs us of sleep, right? How many times are you gripped by something or you allow it to grip you and you can't sleep? And it, it robs you of peace. And it almost paralyzes you. And certainly when you're in the midst of worry, it robs of joy, right? You're not the joyful, exuberant Christian that God wants you to be when we're, we allow worry to grip us. And they say the longer you let it go on, we're going to have bad health effects. Oh no, my blood pressure's up, and now this, and now that, and now I got a twitch, and my eyes fluttering in the wind, and all these physiological uh, things that take place uh, when we don't trust our Heavenly Father in the way that Jesus desires and wants to work in us through the Spirit to 
do that. It certainly hinders our productiveness. Those of you that, that have workers and that work, you know, one of the big factors is you want your workers to be happy. You know, happy, it's one of the great benefits. Then they come to work ready to be productive. In our day, folks are so banged up and issues are so enormous that they come to work and they can't be fully productive because they're, they're worried about all sorts of things. You're going to come and take my son out of school while I'm here and I've got to make 10 phone calls and I've got this and that. And what about, you know, it's unbelievable. It just robs us of that. It's a thief. And then you can even die early. That's true. Worry to an early grave is what they used to say. Well, we can't even add, Jesus said, you can't even add one hour to your life. Gee, the Lord determined all of our days, Psalm 139, 16. Worrying about problems will not add a minute. And certain appointments with death will remain unchanged. We have an appointment. Jesus said, this is a little thing. And you can't even do that. So why are you worried about all the rest? Worry also reflects a self-focus that inhibits one from doing God's will. It turns it inward, inward. We look, keep working, we're focusing inward, me, myself, my own troubles, my own. And one of the best things to do is get involved, get involved, give, 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 give. Go give yourself away. That's the call for a Christian. And you'll, you'll discover with joy Jesus, others, and then finally you, that some of that burden will lift as you give yourself away. Wonderful thing. Well, to, to help us with that, B. Jesus points to the beautiful flowers in the field to make his point. Look at the flowers. Consider the lilies in the field. Verse 27. Now, these flowers were probably all around them as the Lord, I remind you, was teaching in open air. I've stood there in Israel and imagine in the upper Galilee area the, these settings with the grass and then the flowers, beautiful wildflowers. And uh, absolutely, Jesus said, look at those. Those flowers were beautiful. And you know what? They never worked. They never worked a loom. They didn't have a sewing machine. They didn't do any of that. God made them that way. God dressed them. That's the point. The ravens he feeds, the flowers God dressed. You are more valuable than that. Don't live on that low-level plane don't give yourself to worry on that. It is counterproductive. It will actually make your life work. Learn the lesson of the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. And now, this is an amazing thought here because the Lord Jesus is teaching, preparing his disciples for what's coming. Is he making the road to Jerusalem? He's teaching them now on worry. He knows they're going to be really tempted when, with what's going to happen here. And he looks around the field, and it's, they're all in bloom, and he is going to make, an, he's going to editorialize his creation. I love that. He looks at what he made. Remember, he made all things. And he is, enters into the bliss and the joy in his deepest satisfaction of what he designed and made. And he's pleased with it. He finds pleasure in the beauty that he made. That's an interesting dynamic there. And the lesson of that is he finds pleasure in the beauty of his children. And he says the same thing. I will take care of you. 
You're more valuable than those flowers, as gorgeous as they were, and certainly more full of splendor than Solomon, the greatest of all the kings of Israel, with pomp and gold, and the men have been studying that in our men's fraternity. My father will take care of you. It's, it's almost like Genesis 1, when the Lord, and the Lord was the creator of all, through him made, he made all things, uh, when he pronounced after day one, either good, and it was good, and it was good, and then it was very good, where God is, is surveying what he has done, and he's delighted with it. It really, it really caught me as I thought about that, the beauty of that. And the flowers are beautiful. Have you ever really taken the time to look at a flower? I mean, some of you are very good at faith. He loves her flowers. And some of you, I'm sure you do that. Faith has done the geraniums. And, and the, uh, how the azaleas turn that beautiful color like that. And, and some of the, uh, the beauty of the petunias. And the knock, we love the knockoff rose. I mean, have you ever looked at the design? A lot of times uh, I, you hurry past life and we hurry through life and we don't really stop and look. I remember thinking that one time there was a soldier on a field where he'd been mortally wounded. He lay there dying and he was looking up into the, the blueness of the blue sky and he, and he was lamenting the fact that he never spent enough time really looking at the beauty of the world and now his time was up. That really hit me like a ton of bricks. And, I, and the message to me was, Slow down a little bit, at least from time to time, and look, really, really look at something that God has made. And what's the message of that? And uh, the beauty of a flower and its design and color and scheme and, and, and magnificent. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the lesson here. You think I do this? My father does it, and you're going to walk around naked. I'm going to take care of you. You need to know that now. And I'm so grateful he said that. And he points to that sea, the grass, and the open field, and he says that even though God has made it for such a brief lifespan, today, tomorrow, that's all it was. It, it grew up, and heat of the day would die the next day, and, but people, by contrast, last forever. God clothes the grass of the field, that's here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? He goes from the argument of lesser to greater. And so don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Worry points really to our real problem, doesn't it? Jesus says, O ye of little faith, in verse 28. Our real problem is, is that we don't trust perfectly. We don't rest. We have a bigger image of ourselves than we ought. Like, i got to make the right choice. Really, think about that. Really think about that. God is in charge above and beyond all of our puny little choices and bringing about his perfect will. Rest in that. That doesn't mean we're slothful. It doesn't mean that, that we don't do our part and God works in and through that. But never forget, I, I take great comfort in that, that Psalm 127. For he grants even while sleeping, to those he loves. That's the sense of that. Even when your hand and my hand is far removed from the action and our brains are not in the decision-making, God is working that behind the scenes for his glory alone to bring the outcome. Wow, 
that encourages me, and it ought to encourage you that uh, worry is foolish because life is so much more than that low level of living. Well, Jesus tells us second that worry is foolish because it's completely unproductive, in fact, counterproductive. And finally, the third reason why worry is foolish and hinders us in becoming the kingdom seekers we ought to be is that worry is actually the attitude and mindset of unbelievers or pagans. Those still in darkness and living for the here and the now, verses uh, uh, 32 to 30 and, uh, 34. The unbelieving world is consumed with life on this low level. Seeking. That's what Jesus said. They are seeking. I'm sorry, look at verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, these low level of existence type things. Uh, the idea is seeking, they're pursuing it, and it's present, and it's never, they never stop doing it. Never. They live on that low animalistic level of living, uh, simply forging and covering their bodies like mannequins. That's what they're doing. And when you and I as kingdom seekers fall into that, we live, uh, as it were, with the mindset of an unbeliever and the characteristic of those that know not God in this wonderful care. And the result is it's very demeaning. It's very demeaning to God himself. I think if, uh, think if your father was extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy, but, and you knew he was wealthy, but somehow you didn't really trust him, even though he has said over and over and had demonstrated over and over and over and over again that he would care for your every need. But you walked around like he was either an absent father, non-existent, or the worst father in all the world. And you kind of moved around other people that way. And, people said, uh, and they didn't know that you were a son of the king because you act like... A complete commoner has no connection with the king. Begging for, striving after, and very unkingly, unregal, unkingdom citizenship type of ways. It would be demeaning to your father. Son, why are you living like that? Why? Why are you? That's what Jesus is saying here. When, we, when you and I do that, we drop down and act like the, the pagan, godless, dark culture that we swim in. Well, Jesus made us for so much more. We're, we're to be light. We're to be salt. We're to be Christ in a world of darkness. That's what he's doing in your life. If he's saved you, that's the result of, 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 uh, of the gospel in your life and mine. Remember, he says, here's the point, and it, hiven, it, it, it really pivots here. Remember, Jesus said, your Father knows your every need and meets them as you give yourself away in loving others. And finally, he's going to say specifically what that means. So as, as he makes his way to Jerusalem and as he's preparing for his coming death and they're going to be scattered and, and they're going to be a, a tendency to be completely fretful and worry, like, and we as well. You know, the tendency might be, well, I've got to hold on to everything. Jesus so said, no, trust me. Be a blessing. Love the Lord with all your heart. Be a blessing. Love your neighbors. And when you find those and specifically have needs, Sell what you have, help them, care for them, love them. Trust me, I'm not going to let you go without. That's the whole point, how he wraps up this, uh, 
this little, little unit. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, give to the needy. He's being specific now. You're going to find those that are needy. It might, you might even jump to Acts 6 right there, for that's what they did. Provide yourself with money bags. He's talking about heavenly treasure now that does not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. If your treasure is in heaven, that's where your heart and your life and your, your livelihood is going to be focused. If it's here on earth, you're going to hang on to everything here and heap it up as we talked in weeks gone by. Love those in need, he's saying in 32 and 33. And in doing this, you and I are like banking in the bank of heaven. And God keeps records of that. And he keeps the books, and it's secure forever. So be careful where your treasure is. Make sure it's not in this failing bank of this world that's going to burn up. It won't accrue to anything. It's passing away. It is passing. A kingdom focus prevents excessive worry about one's earthly possessions. And Jesus calls us to love our brothers as we trust our Father in heaven to meet all our need, to be a blessing, to help those that we find have need even here. It's foolish to worry then because such a thing is the attitude of the pagan. So don't hoard your possessions. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for life? What can we say? Number one, know that to be worried-free, to be worry-free does not mean trouble-free. God will see you through all of it. Don't, don't be confused by that thinking, well, you know, um, I guess when I'm worry-free, I'll have no troubles. Mm -mm. In this life, you have troubles. In this life, you have tribulations. Look at Jesus and all that he faced. How could we expect less? Don't, be, don't think that. Don't confuse that. And sometimes we say, well, I have these troubles, therefore God has forgotten me, therefore he won't care for me, and therefore hopelessness. No. But in the midst of that, it's a refining thing. It develops us. It, he's developing like strength training. Some of you go down and work out. Some of you have your own gyms. And you do strength training. Well, you've got to have resistance. Or the, you know, the biceps don't and the triceps don't get bigger. They need the weight. God is growing us up through the power of the gospel. And we need the resistance. The Lord turns the lights out occasionally to see if we'll keep walking. He does. Easy to walk in daylight, but he wants us to walk with him when the lights flicker and go out. How about Job? May his tribe increase. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Oh, Lord, wow. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. There's Joseph. See, the hand of God in trouble. He trusted him. He learned. Number two, never, never forget who your father is. Don't forget who your father is. We cry, Abba, Father. He's omnipotent, almighty God. He knows all things. He cares for us. He, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. He feeds us. Get mental images in your mind of the children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness. God fed them every single day. He cared. He's Jehovah Jireh. Abraham said, the Lord will provide. Father, where's the ram? 
And he has provided and cared for you all the way. You think it's you holding on? It isn't that at all. We would have let go the first day. Ah! He holds us in the palm of his hand. Don't forget who your father is. To worry is to demean him in his glory. Number three, rest in the gospel. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. It's a finished work. He is Lord Sabbath, the Sabbath. Since it is God, uh, uh, since uh, it is God gives Jesus, oh, in Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 31, 32, Paul goes on to say, since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things? And what he means by that is, God has given us the greatest thing of all in Christ. And everything else is so far lesser that it's not even hardly worth thinking about. Since he gave you a zillion, zillion of worth, it's, you can't put a price on it. What is this other stuff? It's like pocket change. Will he not with him care for you and give you all the things you need? Be a kingdom seeker by the grace and the power of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Number four, the next time you see, really see, birds and flowers and the beautiful grass rather than the barren ground, I really urge you to embrace God's message in these, the big book of creation. That is, I care for you. I'll provide for you. Don't worry about that. I will take care of you. I've staked my name on you. My name, my reputation. Rest. And so, when you see the bird fly overhead, there's the Lord's message for me. Thank you, Lord. There's the flower. Lord, thanks. Thank you. You're going to clothe me and care for me and all the other things as I seek your kingdom to do your will. I don't have to worry about that. I just rest. Rest. That's what he's saying to us. And number five and last, God calls all people everywhere to receive his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died to pay the price for sin. It is the greatest single thing ever done, the greatest work ever done for you and for me. And our memory verse for the month is, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only question remains is, have you called on the Lord Jesus to be your Savior? You can in a moment, you know. Yet your seat, and the Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Thank you for dying in my stead. And God will save you based upon the authority of the only book he ever gave. You'll be saved forever. And if you know him as Savior, it is because of the gospel in your life, because of Jesus, and all that he did for you, that he calls us to live for him as a kingdom seeker and to have our, 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 our hearts and our treasure in heaven and to serve him all the days of our life. There is nothing else. The rest is an illusion. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. May God help us rest in his sweet and wonderful care. We're going to pray, and then Jonathan's going to come. Lead us in, in that song, and then we'll be done for
Lord, thank you so much for your wonderful word. We thank you, Lord, for the comfort, the counsel. Thank you that you are great and greatly to be praised. You meet our needs, Lord. Thank you so much for food and clothing and shelter and so, so much more. We are so unbelievably blessed in our, our, our country and in our lives. And we just thank you for Jesus and know that, that you gave the greatest gift, Father, of your Son. It's all because of Christ. All to Jesus, all to him. All to him do we surrender. May we live for him all our days. In Christ's name, amen.